0: not talk Radio.
1: jungle, and welcome to the show. So uh, we got more ads from the Lincoln Project. The Lincoln Project is a group of Republicans and former Republicans who are not big fans of Trump. And um, man, are they exposing who they really are with this new round of ads. I'm going to lead with that in just a second. We also have some news about the 2020 race that is largely fake news but we're going to discuss it anyway it's uh there's a couple of gop insiders who are saying there's a chance trump drops out (laughs) so we'll get into that i also have some new uh poll numbers from pew research that show the state of the race and it's a disaster for trump yet again um then we have the conservative supreme court is finally catching up with us um They're doing the things that we thought they would probably do. So, big blow dealt to separation of church and state. And then the purges have begun. The purges on Reddit, on YouTube. There's a couple of social media outlets that are like, yeah, we're just going to drop the hammer down, and that's what they did. So we'll talk about that as well. Um, And then... Later on, we got an amazing story about UBI. It's becoming something that various mayors across the country are now interested in, in part as a result of the pandemic and how much people are struggling. And um, Team Biden with the worst outreach of all time. So anyway, without further ado, let's get started. Like I said, we're going to do that with the Lincoln Project, so let me set this up for you. The Lincoln Project is a group of former Republicans and if I'm not mistaken, maybe even some current Republicans who are anti-Trump. And they've been getting, you know, a lot of play recently and a lot of love and adoration, namely from Democratic partisans. In fact, uh, what's his name? Preet Barara was saying that, you know, I would go to them if I ever were to run for office or something to this effect. If I ever were to run for office, I would go to them because they make the best ads Uh, And they're the most hard-hitting. So the problem is, when you're talking about Republicans going after Trump, you have to pause and reflect. How are they going after him? Are they resisting him from the left, or are they resisting him from the right on foreign policy? Are they more hawkish, or are they less hawkish? And, of course, when you talk about Democratic partisans, they simply don't care. To them, it's like, whatever, just mutter a couple anti-Trump words. I don't care what the underlying philosophy is. I hate Trump, so I'm with you. That's the way that a lot of Democratic partisan hacks think. Um, Well, obviously on this show, we don't think that way. And I care about the actual issues, so it depends how you're resisting him. Well, this new batch of ads from the Lincoln Project really exposes what they're all about. Because the Republicans who founded it, their main philosophy, their main ideology is actually neoconservatism. So here's their new batch of ads. There's three of them here. These are three separate ads. And they're all about the so-called bombshell news that Russia is putting a bounty on American soldiers. This is totally unverified. This is from, you know, intelligence officials anonymous intelligence officials in other words probably the same people who told us that Saddam has weapons of mass destruction and Saddam was working with Al Qaeda and the people who gave us RussiaGate 1.0 are now giving us RussiaGate 2.0 and the anti-Trump Republicans are more than happy uh, you know to continue on with this line of argument and use this logic against them let's take a look and then we'll discuss <laughs>
0: Дональд Трамп в 2016 году, но не от вашего лидера сената Мича Маконела, и не от вашего конгрессмена Пола Райана, и не от кого-то из ваших сенаторов-республиканцев, представителей или губернаторов. Не самое важное одобрение. Дональд Трамп получил в 2016 году от нашего великого вождя Владимира Путина. Наши спецслужбы работали все прочно, чтобы избрать товарища Трампа. Вывели войну против нас, называемой правдой. Вы, нанимающие американцы, распускали про нашего товарища. Мы манипулировали ваши неизбиратели. Распространяли нашу славную пропаганду. И вас, американских собак, друг на друга. Компания, товарищ мудро приняла нашу помощь. Теперь наш и
1: I'm a 2001 United States Naval Academy graduate. I'm an ex-Navy SEAL, currently an emergency room physician and the founder of Veterans for Responsible Leadership. Months ago, Donald Trump learned that the Russians were paying bounties for dead American soldiers in Afghanistan. He chose to do nothing about it. Any Commander-in-Chief with a spine would be stomping the living shit out of some Russians right now. Diplomatically, economically, or, if necessary, with the sort of asymmetric warfare they're using to send our kids home in body bags. Mr. Trump, you're either a coward who can't stand up to an ex-KGB goon, or you're complicit. Which is it? Donald Trump is unfit to be our commander-in-chief, and that's worse than useless. I'm a pro-life, gun-owning combat veteran, and I can see Trump for what he is, a coward. We need to send this draft dodger back to his golf courses. The lives of our troops depend on it.
0: The Lincoln Project is responsible for the content of this advertising. In the last year, flag-draped coffins have returned from Afghanistan. Now we know Vladimir Putin pays a bounty for the murder of American soldiers. Donald Trump knows, too, and does nothing. Putin pays the Taliban cash to slaughter our men and women in uniform. And Trump is silent, weak, controlled. Instead of condemnation, he insists Russia be treated as our equal. Instead of retaliation, he invites Putin to America. When Trump tells you he stands by the troops, he's right. Just not our troops.
1: I'm at a loss for words. If you look at those ads and you don't come to the conclusion that this is neo-McCarthyism, then I don't know what to tell you. Because that, it wasn't even subtle. It was so over the top. So the first ad, they have the Russian music playing, the Russian, you know, writing on the screen, somebody speaking Russian. And... um they call Trump Comrade Trump repeatedly. By the way, I don't know if you guys know this, the Soviet Union no longer exists. Russia is not a communist nation. But, you know, again, they're not, they're not even masking it. They're not even hiding it. They're not taking off the rough edges. This is like flat-out Red Scare McCarthyism. That's what this is. Now, also, think about that first ad where they're just accusing Trump of being this Manchurian candidate whose strings were being pulled by, by Vladimir Putin, and you have the Russian music and the Russian language and all this stuff. And Imagine if there was an ad that accused a president of being controlled by a secret cabal of Jews. How would everybody react to that ad? What would people say? If there was an ad that accused a president of being a puppet to a global Jewish conspiracy, what would people say? It would be universal across the board. Everybody would say, oh, so this is a deeply anti-Semitic ad. What, did David Duke make this ad? Did Richard Spencer make this ad? Who made this ad? Was it the Klan? Is that who made this ad? That's what everybody would say. Everybody would say that that is xenophobic and bigoted. But when you do it with Russia, nobody says that. Nobody says, hey, wait a second, hold on now. The Russians are pulling the puppet strings of Donald Trump. You got the scary music and the Russian language, and they call him Comrade Trump. Why isn't it xenophobic against Russians to accuse a global Russian conspiracy of secretly controlling the president? I'm asking a serious question. Why is that not considered bigotry? Because it's in vogue, it's fashionable to view Russians as, you know, the puppet master of all evil on the planet right now. At least in Democratic partisan circles it is. This is, I mean, honestly, it's like the Democrats um, have PTSD from the original Red Scare and McCarthyism Cold War era. And now Democrats are more than happy to flip that dynamic on Republicans, even though the entire dynamic was bogus and xenophobic and stupid from day one. But now, you know, Democrats are using the same tricks against Republicans. And in this case, you have anti-Trump Republicans are using the same Cold War tricks, Red Scare, McCarthyism tactics against Trump. Understand, guys, this is not a defense of Trump. My point is you have to go after him in substantive ways that are correct and that aren't feeding a, a maniacal... Hawkish right wing narrative, and that's what this is that's what this does. so the second ad honestly might be the worst. first one was bad, I think it's deeply xenophobic. The second one might be worse. The second one is the guy says he you know he's somebody who was in the u s military he looks like as as Trump would say red at right of central casting this guy red right out of central casting um and he says any commander in chief would be stomping the shit out of Russians right now, and then he says, you know, like diplomatically, maybe even militarily, and then he says, with asymmetric warfare, any commander-in-chief would be stomping the shit out of Russians right now with the asymmetric warfare he says that they use against us. We need to use asymmetric warfare against them. And then he says, you're either a coward or you're complicit. Look at what they're prodding Trump to do. At the very least, they want more sanctions on Russia. By the way, Russia is already sanctioned to the high heavens. I know partisan Democrats don't like to admit this or don't know about it, but because there was such a a hysterical Russia obsession from Democrats all along, Trump has continually added more and more sanctions onto Russia. So they're already sanctioned like crazy. At the very least, this is calling for more sanctions, but in reality, they flat out say it. They want asymmetric warfare. They want Trump to, quote, stomp the shit out of the Russians. And that's the only way that Trump can prove that, no, 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 I'm not, he, he's not my puppet master. Do you see the incentive that they're setting up? The incentive is this crazy, thin-skinned, buffoon, idiot president needs to be more hawkish, needs to be more bellicose, needs to be more aggressive against another country that has nuclear weapons. Do you not, can you see the problem with this now? Like Again, I know there were a lot of people who were skeptical of my take on Russiagate all along. By the way, who was right about that? What happened with the Mueller report? That's right. Nothing came of it. Like I told you, nothing would come of it. But there were a lot of people who heard my commentary and they were like, I don't know, I don't know if I'm with them, because it was, it was so overwhelming, the non-stop story after story, fake bombshell after fake bombshell. Oh, my God, Russia, Russia, Russia. And then nothing came of it. And so now they dropped – they got rid of the rough edges, and they're back, and they're being more plain spoken about it. That's what this is. They're just saying it now. And they want asymmetric warfare against Russia. Is that what you want? Even If you're a Democrat and you look at the Trump era, is this what you want? You think everything would be better if we were just more hawkish against Russia? Is that the policy goal you want? You could have hit Trump on being massively corrupt because he's massively corrupt. You could have hit him on being way too neoconservative in his own respect because he is way too neoconservative and he's escalating with Iran and Venezuela and continuing our wars. You could have hit him on that front. You could have hit him on being a tool for Wall Street because he is a tool for Wall Street. You could have hit him on cutting taxes for the rich, because he did cut taxes for the rich. You could have hit him on getting rid of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, because he, he did effectively get rid of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. He, he took away whatever teeth they had. Could have hit him on all that. They didn't. They hit him on this, because they want him to be more aggressive against Russia, because they're neocons. They are neocons. So if you're a Democrat and you're praising this stuff, oh, sweet Jesus, I don't even know what to tell you. I, I mean, at best, you're a sucker. Worst, you're also neoconservative in your own respect. The final ad, um, they showed the coffins. They said Trump is silent, Trump is weak, Trump is controlled. And then they say, There's no re- he's not doing any retaliation. He needs to do retaliation. And Trump stands for the troops, just not ours. So this, again, flat out, Manchurian candidate, the puppet of Vladimir Putin doing his bidding, even though we had a frickin' investigation over that idea right there. And you know what they found? Nothing. The only people who went down over Russiagate were people who were in the campaign, and their crimes had nothing to do with Russiagate. It had nothing to do with Russia at all. Here we are. The Lincoln Project, because, you know, Abraham Lincoln would really want to... Abraham Lincoln would agree with a neoconservative hawkish foreign policy. That's what, you know, everybody knows that. It really, it's, it's disturbing that this is what's become of our politics. In the Trump era, the Democrats should be crushing on all fronts and should be Unanimous in a left-wing message. Instead, you have anti-Trump Republicans and neocons who've like infiltrated the Democratic Party, and they're going to get a seat at the table in leadership. You watch. You watch what happens with Joe Biden if slash when Joe Biden wins the presidency. Watch who he brings into his, into his um, administration. Watch. I guarantee you it'll be many people with this philosophy and this ideology, which means if you vote for Trump, you get more war because he's given us more war. If you vote for Biden, you get more war. Quite a democracy we have here. All right, next. We have a pretty big report that dropped this week. This is from Republican insider Charles Gasparino of Fox Business Network. So the Independent says here, Trump in fragile mood and may drop out of 2020 race if poll numbers don't improve, GOP insiders tell Fox News. Donald Trump may drop out of the 2020 presidential race if he believes he has no chance of winning, a Republican Party operative reportedly told Fox News. The claim comes in a report in the president's favorite news outlet that cites a number of GOP insiders who are concerned about Mr. Trump's reelection prospects and amid abysmal polling numbers. All right, so right up front I'm going to tell you don't buy it. <laughs> I don't buy it. If you think Trump is going to drop out, I would say you don't see what is readily apparent and incredibly obvious about the man. The man is uh, deeply narcissistic, self obsessed, power hungry. And when a guy like that is in a position like he's in, President of the United States, he doesn't just go quietly into the night. Um, in fact, I think it's much more likely the, po- the exact opposite, which is let's say he loses, he might put up a stink like, I, I don't believe it fake news, fake numbers. There's rampant election fraud, widespread election fraud. How many illegals voted? I think a lot of illegals may have voted. And so he would try to hang on to power come hell or high water. That's what I think is more likely. Um, So this just doesn't jive with his character. You know, I think that secretly he knows he's down, but the idea that he would drop out and come up with an excuse, I just don't buy it. And... You know, Charles Gasparino had a tweet thread about this, and, and he was saying that these are the whispers going on in Republican circles. But, guys, honestly, I think it's wishful thinking from other Republicans because they were, they were down on his chances in 2016. They're really down on his chances in 2020, and I think they're just, they're just hoping that this will happen. They're just hoping that this is the case. Because they think that um, there are a lot of establishment Republicans who think that he's going to tank the ship of the entire GOP, that that's what Trump will do. And so it's um, it's kind of like a Hail Mary pass in their own minds to stay viable, to think like, oh, maybe he'll drop out and he can be switched at the last second, and you know then we can be more competitive. But by the way, if let's say hypothetically for a second he were a dropout, whoever we're whoever would replace him would do worse. See, Republicans are in a lose-lose position right now because Trump is not very popular, according to the polls, but he does have that hardcore 35% base that will never abandon him. Whoever you replace him with is not going to be able to cobble together a coalition that eclipses that of Trump's. So it's like you either, as of right now, the dilemma is you lose with Trump or you lose bigger with somebody else. But I think they just, see, the thing is, the other Republicans... They just want to save the branding for the future. See, that's a that's a little bit of a nefarious aspect that is not really talked about often, which is you do have Republicans who are like largely silent in the Trump era. Some of them are the loud, aggressive Trump defenders. But a lot of the Republican senators and people, they're not loud, aggressive defenders of Trump. They just kind of sit on the sidelines. Why? So that when the Trump era is done, they can step out to polite society and say, me? No, pff, I was never a big backer of him anyway, bro. Look, see, go check the things I said about him. I didn't say much. I didn't say much. So this way they get polite society and mainstream media circles are more willing to accept the rebranding and view the Republican Party as like, oh, you have the serious Republicans, and then you have big bad Trump. And we're cool with the serious Republicans, just not with big bad Trump. When, of course, the, you know, the silliness of it all is that the so-called serious Republicans would vote with Trump 9 out of 10 times or 10 out of 10 times. The only difference is the so-called serious Republicans don't do crazy unfiltered tweet threads and aren't unhinged and shooting from the hip and, you know, haven't totally abandoned decorum and civility. That'd be the only difference. So there's this branding exercise that's going on. But really, again, the heart of this story, I think, is B.S. I believe that he's in a fragile mood. I believe that in his heart of hearts, he knows that he's down. I do not believe for a second that, you know, if he thinks there's no way he can win, that he'll step down. Um, although that would be not a bad move for him in terms of his legacy, let's say. Because then he'll get to say, for however, you know, however long he's around post his presidency, you know, I would have won. I would have won, but I think we did our job wonderfully, and I wanted to step down while we were already on top, while we were already number one. I could, see him, I could see him saying that. Again, I don't think somebody with his massive ego and extreme narcissism could bring himself to step down. I think he might brainwash himself into believing, oh, this is just like 2016, 2020 is going to be the same, we're going to shock the world. Um, but in terms of a long-term play for him, that would fare better than losing to Joe Biden, who can barely talk, and Joe Biden gets over 350 electoral votes. So I think it's wishful thinking from Republicans, but I think it would be one of his better plays in terms of saving face. It would help him save face if he steps down and says, like, you know, listen, listen, we did a wonderful job. Before the, the virus hit, we had the number one numbers across the board, and now we think it's time to step down. I don't think he's going to do it, but that would be probably the best play he has. And as of right now, he has no good options because the country is imploding. All right, next. We have some new poll numbers from Pew Research and this is a nightmare for President Trump across the board. So, they found that 63% of Republicans say they feel angry about the state of the US while nearly 78% of Democrats report the same. Angry. 63% of Republicans. 56% of Republicans say they are fearful about the state of the country, while 75% of Democrats report the same. More than half are fearful. Only one quarter of Republicans told Pew that they felt proud when thinking about the country in its current state. Only a quarter of Republicans and then it says, flashback, 74% of Americans said in an AP, NORC, Center for Public Affairs Research poll earlier this month, that the country is heading in the, in the wrong direction, including 63% of Republicans, up from 42% in May. So 74% say the country's heading in the wrong direction. In May it was only 42%.
0: <sighs>
1: okay, now... I think I saved this biggest stat for last. This one's just, I'm floored at this. So they go on to say, quote, until June 30th, Republican satisfaction with the state of the country had stayed above 50% for nearly all of Trump's presidency, according to Pew. The latest survey shows 19% of Republicans and those who lean Republican are satisfied with the direction of the country. Only 19% of Republicans are satisfied with the direction of the country under a Republican president. That doesn't, that's not a thing that ever happens, ever. Go to any administration post the Great Depression, and whenever there's a Democrat in control probably over 50% of Democrats say I like the direction of the country. Whenever there's a Republican in control, probably over 50% of Republicans say I like the direction of the country. Only 19% of Republicans under a Republican administration are saying they like the direction of the country. (sighs) Bro. (laughs) Oh, he's getting hammered, son. Trump is getting hammered right now. What did I tell you guys? Trump is now going all in on this, on this campaign strategy of, I'm going to talk about the statues. I'm going to talk about law and order. I'm going to talk about the culture war, nonstop. And what do I tell you guys? That is going to ring so incredibly hollow, because the culture war and the statues are an ancillary issue when you have a pandemic that's still roaring and raging out of control, We just hit another record number for COVID cases the other day, probably another record today. Over 120,000 Americans dead. That's more than double the Americans that died in Vietnam. You have effectively a Great Depression with real unemployment over 20%, and you have tumultuous 1960 style uprisings across the country. How can you look at those things and then go, I got it. I'm going to zero in on the freaking statues and on the culture war. And, by the way, in the process of talking about those things, he doesn't do what a normal president would do, which is, you know, let's bring the country together, let's unify, let's realize that we're all American, we're all in this together, we're going to find a way through this, we're going to do the right thing, being like a consoler-in-chief. Hey, let me calm these rough waters. No, no, he fanned the flames of division. So not only is he not focusing on the right things, He's focusing on the wrong thing and doing the wrong strategy in regards to the wrong thing. What did you think was going to happen? Now, listen, if you're a hardcore Fox News viewer, yeah, you're in that 19% that's going to say, I think he's doing a great job and I like this approach. But people aren't in the bubble as much as you are. The only people who look at this and think it makes sense are people who are so deep in that Republican bubble where all they care about is the statues All they care about is the culture war. They eat, sleep, and breathe the culture war. They pretend to hate the culture war when they love the culture war. They bask in it 24-7. Your normie average American, I'm sorry, but it's true. The culture war is an ancillary issue. Now, I get it. You know, even some lefties would say that's not fair. They think the culture war is just as big of an issue as the right-wingers do. That's because you're in it, and you're part of it, and you're super political. Your normal average American is going, how do I pay these damn bills, bro? <laughs> you know, my son got laid off. My my mom got laid off. You know, uh, we have an uncle who has COVID. I'm afraid to go to the damn grocery store. It's raging out of control in my area. I can't afford the bills. This is what regular people are thinking about. They're thinking about unemployment. They're thinking about wages. They're thinking about COVID. And the president's out there. He just, he just, tweeted this thing today where he's talking about, it's like a minute-long video or something. It's him in front of the White House talking, pretending to be Mr. Presidential, and he's like, we ju- I just signed an executive order, 10 years for defacing a statue. 10 years for defacing a statue. Bro, we got a, a foreclosure and eviction crisis that's about to hit right now, skis. Right now. Right now. What are you doing right now? What are you doing? unemployment. What are you doing? Fucking statues? Executive orders on statues. Jesus Christ. He's losing it, man. He's losing it. He lost his political instincts. See, the thing in 2016, now he may have just stumbled on the right strategy in 2016, but it was the right strategy. The strategy was crooked Hillary, crooked Hillary, crooked Hillary. She's corrupt. She's the status quo. I'm the outsider. I'm going to make sure your job doesn't get shipped overseas. That's what I'm going to do. I'm against outsourcing. I'm against NAFTA. I'm against TPP. I'm against the Iraq War. I'm I'm not going to send people to die overseas. I'm not going to keep them over there. I'm going to stop the wars. This was his strategy. It was a powerful strategy because it was kind of true that Hillary was the embodiment of the establishment, and she's business as usual. He painted her as business as usual, and he won. Barely. With the perfect strategy, he barely won. This time, he's not she's nowhere near a perfect strategy. I mean this is like uh, this is like turning over your campaign strategy to the B team hosts at Fox News. This is like if Brian Kilmeade was your campaign manager and you don't realize that this is a problem that you moved away from the bread and butter issues. The bread and butter issues are the things that matter to the overwhelming majority of Americans, especially the ones who are not super political and plugged in. But you're talking about statues and the culture war. That's what you're talking about. (laughs) Embarrassing. Of course you're going to lose in this respect. And, again, Biden doesn't have to do anything. Just let the guy keep talking because he's not focusing on the right things. Now he just pretends like COVID doesn't exist. So here we go. Listen, as of right now, there's no other way to say this. We're heading towards a one-term Trump presidency, but also, more importantly, a landslide loss for Trump at the moment. Now, that can change because the whole race is incredibly volatile, but, but it would need to be like a couple debates where Trump just hammers Biden and exposes him. And that's possible, but it's hard for any, any president, no matter how politically savvy, to overcome a pandemic and a depression. It's just so hard to overcome that. How can you overcome that? You can be the most politically skilled in the world... But people will ask themselves the basic question, am I better off now than I was four years ago? And the answer is going to be no. So what are you going to do? How are you going to override that? Good luck with that. Actually, no, I don't wish you good luck with that at all (laughs) because I'm not a fan. All right, next. We knew it was going to happen eventually but it happened now. Having a conservative Supreme Court finally caught up with us, it appeared to not do that in the the DACA ruling, although Trump basically just has to resubmit his paperwork for that one, and then they win. So um, it didn't catch up to us then. It didn't catch up to us on LGBTQ rights, how now trans people are protected under non-discrimination clauses, just as much as gay people and just as much as black people. And so that's a positive thing. So we got lucky with a few Supreme Court decisions. We got lucky. Call it what it is. But now we're right back to unlucky, and I expect a lot more decisions like this, given that the court is definitely leaning conservative. The U.S. Supreme Court narrowed the separation of church and state in a major ruling on Tuesday by endorsing Montana tax credits that helped pay for students to attend religious schools, a decision paving the way for more public funding of faith-based institutions. In a 5-4 decision, the court backed a Montana program that gave tax incentives for people to donate to a scholarship fund that provided money to Christian schools for student tuition expenses. The justices sided with three mothers of Christian school students who appealed after Montana's top court invalidated the tax credit for violating the state's constitution. The state constitution's ban on public aid to churches and religious entities. The court's five conservatives were in the majority, and the four liberal justices dissented. Chief Justice John Roberts, who authored the ruling, said, a state need not subsidize private education, but once a state decides to do so, it cannot disqualify some private schools solely because they are religious. They also say, voiding a taxpayer program merely because it can be used to fund religious entities violated the U.S. Constitution's protection for the free exercise of religion absurd, absurd, because you can still practice your religion, however the hell you want to practice your religion, you just can't get funding from the state for it, now listen, there's one way to try to overturn this, there's one way to try to overturn this, you know what that is, set up a situation where tax money goes towards an Islamic religious school, I think the Supreme Court would switch on that one. I think they would say, you know what, secularism is actually very important. Separation of religion and state is actually very important. Because under our Constitution, the Establishment Clause says, you know, you have freedom of religion, but the government can't favor one religion over any other kind of religion. So under this logic, you could have tax money going towards a Mormon school, tax money going towards a Scientologist's school, tax money going towards an Islamic school. So, how much you want to bet if the facts of the case were not a Christian school, but a Muslim school, all of a sudden they would have flipped, and you probably would have had an overwhelming majority against the tax money going towards a Muslim school. Because people are going to rightly say, hey man, this is my tax money. I'm not Muslim. Why should I have to fund a school that teaches something I don't agree with? That's not secular knowledge. That's something that's, unique it's a specific religious viewpoint why do i i have to fund that why do i have to fund that that's ridiculous i don't have to fund that according to our constitution separation of church and state i don't have to fund that well they said that when it comes to this christian school actually yes you do you do have to fund it and their point was hey you know you have some tax credits that go towards private schooling so tax money doesn't have to go towards private schooling but in If people decide that tax money can, in their respective states or localities, go to private schooling, well, then you can't discriminate based on, you know, the different kinds of schools that there are. So if it's Christian school, you can't say, we're not going to fund that because it's religious. Because you already said you want to fund private schools, so that means it includes religious schools. This is utter nonsense. This is a complete – it's so funny because Republicans usually make the argument – that, oh, we believe in originalism or textualism. They have a couple of different you know ways of describing it. But the idea is, us conservatives look at the Constitution as it was written and interpret it as the founders meant, whereas it's supposed to be the, the left-wing mindset or the liberal mindset is supposed to be that the Constitution is this living, breathing document that evolves over time, and whatever you can interpret You know, the Constitution as to allow us to evolve, that's how you interpret it. So it's almost like you read the Constitution and give yourself wiggle room to adjust with the times, basically. That's the left-wing or liberal approach. The conservative is we interpret it as written. Well, as written, it is crystal clear. There's no way you could read the Constitution and think it's okay for tax money to fund religious schools. No way! No way! We're a deeply secular government. We have separation of church and state. This is a clear violation of the Establishment Clause of the Constitution because you're favoring Christianity over other kinds of religions. You don't believe me? Okay. Then set up an Islamic school, set up a Scientologist's school or any of the thousands, over 4,000 religions that are in existence. Set up a school that has a religion as its basis and go ahead, fund it with tax money and see how long that lasts before the state says no way they would overturn it pretty much immediately. But the Christian schools get away with it. Why? Because the Christians are the majority in this country. That's why. And the people, many of the people on the Supreme Court are Christians. That's why. Because they go, I agree with this. It's, it's what I was raised in, so I'm going to allow it and come up with a BS rationale. This is nonsense, man. In fact, I have to admit, I'm surprised. I would have guessed, if anything, on the LGBTQ case, they would have ruled against trans rights. That's what I would have guessed this, this court would have done. But I would have guessed that on this one, they would have said, no, we can't have tax money funding a Christian school. Are you crazy? That's obviously against the Constitution. But they didn't. They flipped it. The LGBTQ one, they believed in trans rights, good. But this one, they decided the wrong way. So now, and again, the worst problem here is the precedent. Because now you open the door. Well, now people are going to take tax money and throw it to all sorts of religious initiatives. And what the hell's, you know, who the hell's going to stop them when the Supreme Court just said, no, it's totally constitutional to fund Christian schools with tax money. Who's going to stop them? So who's going to stop them when tax money now go towards, you know, Christian drug rehab centers, which are probably using anti-scientific methods of trying to cure people from addiction? Who's going to stop them? Who's going to say, no, 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 you can't have tax money fund that because it's religious? Who's going to stop them? Nobody's going to stop them. So now you open the door. See, this is, this is a backdoor way to get to theocracy, is what this is. This is a ruling that absolutely would have been welcomed in Iran or Saudi Arabia or any country with deep theocratic elements. Because it's a way to have our money, our collective tax money, go towards a specific kind of religious ideology, which is obviously totally unacceptable. But now you've opened the door, you've laid the precedent down, there's going to be tax money going towards all, all sorts of religious initiatives. It used to be an obvious no-brainer that that can't be the case. Now they're going to, they've left wiggle room, and I think it's going to get worse and worse. All right, next. So many states and localities are responding to nationwide protests in a pretty clearly unconstitutional way. So this is in The Intercept. A North Carolina city bans protests protecting Confederate monuments. A North Carolina city is using a restrictive ordinance to outlaw protests, threatening to arrest anyone who even attempts to peacefully protest without a permit as part of an effort to protect a Confederate monument that sits outside its courthouse. The Alamance County Sheriff's Office said in a Facebook post on Friday that permits to protest in the city of Graham will not be granted for the foreseeable future, adding that anyone who attempts to protest without a permit will be in violation of the order and arrested. There has been a heavy police presence around the monument, which features a statue of a Confederate soldier with a rifle located in downtown Graham for several days now. Graham, whose population is around 15,000, also declared a state of emergency and set a 9 p.m. curfew over the weekend, which was then canceled on Monday night. So they go on to explain that what they do is if anybody shows up to protest, they're arrested. But then the argument people would make is you've got to go through the proper channels in order to be allowed to protest. Okay, well, then people pro- apply for permits. The problem is none of the permits are being granted at all. So, you've set up a situation where you've de facto banned protests. Where you say, hey, in theory, we allow protests, but we're going to arrest you on site if you show up without a permit. And if you apply for a permit, you're not, we're not going to give you one. So, it, that is effectively banning protests. Now, where are all my free speech warriors at? Where's Rave Dubin? Where's Ben Shapiro? Where's all the people on the right who claim that they care so deeply about freedom of speech? You know, it's curious. They only seem to bring it up when it's pink-haired college kids setting up safe spaces on, on campus. That's the only time they bring it up. They never seem to bring it up when it is actual, literal free speech violations, as in the government taking away people's rights for free speech and free protest. Weird, they're nowhere to be found! Clear violations not just of the principle of freedom of speech, the legality of freedom of speech is being violated. I don't hear anything. I don't hear Dickie McGee's acts. Now, you might say, well, hold on, Kyle, this story just happened, so obviously, I mean, maybe they're not keeping up with the news, maybe they didn't see it, whatever. You've got to give them a pass on this. Obviously, they still care about this issue. This is a brand new thing that just happened, and they didn't see it yet. Wrong. So, in 2017, this happened as well. Republican lawmakers in five states proposed bills to criminalize peaceful protests. Now, In 2017, similarly, this was a direct reaction to Black Lives Matter movements, um, the No Dakota Access Pipeline protests, but also it was immediately after the women's marches. So it was right after this uh, a number of circumstances popped up, which led to unrest and protests, and Republican states immediately sprung into action and said, let's find a backdoor way of banning protests. So in North Dakota, for example, there was a bill that would allow people driving to run over and kill protesters obstructing a highway, because they were protesting on highways, and they, they say, oh, as long as it was an accident, you can do it. They allowed murder by vehicle if it's an accident. In Minnesota, there was a bill to dramatically stiffen fines for protests on the road and give people a year in jail for that, a year in jail. Republicans in Washington state proposed a plan to reclassify as a felony civil disobedience protests that were deemed, quote, economic terrorism, economic terrorism. And then Republicans in Michigan introduced an anti-picketing law that would increase penalties against protesters. So in many instances, they wanted to make it a felony, a felony to be part of a protest. This is not new. This is not new. And, you know, Trump does the same thing where Trump says in his speeches, he will say, we believe in free speech. We believe in freedom of speech. And then in the same speech, he'll say, you know, I think we should punish up to a year in jail. Anybody who burns the flag, anybody who burns the flag, we should punish them with a year in jail. You just said you believed in free speech. And now you're saying, like, the quintessential example of freedom of speech is not free speech. That's what they're arguing. There was a Supreme Court case in 1989 over burning a flag, and Justice Antonin Scalia, a right-wing justice, was like, well, obviously, I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't burn the flag, and I, I'm against the people who do it, and if I was king, I would lock them up, but I'm not king. We have a constitution, and that's freedom of speech. In the same speech, Trump would say, I believe in freedom of speech, and let's lock people up who burn the flag, which is free speech. They're hypocrites, and they're idiots, and I'm so sick of this stuff, man. Whenever a real free speech issue pops up, nobody on the right is anywhere to be found. The only people who are left standing are the ACLU. And actually for them, who knows if they're doing it anymore. But back five years ago, ten years ago, the ACLU was like they would defend anybody on free speech grounds. Because they say it doesn't matter the content of what they're saying. It matters that they have the right to say it. It's a principled stance that they're taking. Well, here we go. Here we have a situation where they're trying to criminalize protests, and I hear crickets on the right. Remember this. If you actually care about this issue, remember this. Remember who's actually a proponent of free speech and who isn't. All right, I think I'm going to take a break. When I come back, I got one of the big stories of the day, which is the social media company Purge. You do not want to miss this story. This is not good for the future of these outlets. Stay right there. We will be right back.
0: Son of a
1: beach, beach. All right, welcome back, everybody. Now we're going to go to what I think is one of the biggest stories of the day, most important stories of the day. <clears throat> All right, here we go. Social media companies decided to do a coordinated purge of various accounts. And I use that word because all of this stuff that I'm about to tell you happened at the same time. It happened on the same day. So first, let's go to USA Today and they say, Twitch suspended the official Donald Trump channel for violating rules against hate speech. Hmm. So, Blaine that the reason why it was suspended... Now, I do think suspended is different from being banned. In other words, it's temporarily down, but it'll come back up. I don't know how long the time frame is that they're going to keep it down. But they say it was because of a rebroadcast of his 2015 campaign launch speech. Now, I don't know how many of you remember that, but what he said in that speech, one of the things he said in that speech was... um They're bringing drugs, they're bringing crimes, they're criminals, they're rapists. I assume some are good people. And he was talking about um, Mexicans coming to the country or people coming through the Mexican border into the country. Um, So people said that's hate speech against Mexicans. That's hate speech, and it's ban-worthy and so they did a a temporary suspension. Now, the comment on its own, is that a bigoted comment? I would say yeah, because the assumption was, or the implication was, most of the immigrants who come into this country through the southern border, most of them are criminals and rapists, and he says, I assume some are good people. So in other words, he flipped it. I think it would be a perfectly reasonable thing to say that most people who come into this country through the southern border, most of them are good people, and some, a handful, are criminals and rapists or whatever, gang members. I think that's factually true that some percentage of them are that. But he flipped it and made it seem like most are bad, only a small amount he assumes are good people. So the comment itself is disgusting. But banning him over it? I mean, listen, I come back to the same point here, which is what he says is newsworthy by definition, because he's the president. So if you ban him on Twitch, if you ban him on Twitter, if you ban him on Facebook, okay, then he says something and ABC News and CBS and CNN and Fox News report it. Are they going to put a ban on reporting on what the president says? And by the way, you're also just handing over to them a monopoly on news and information, which is what they want. So it's almost like a lot of what's going on here is the establishment media outlets crying that they're losing their grip on power, these social media companies, you know, listening to those old media companies and saying, okay, you know, we're going to redirect right back to you. And then they end up banning a lot of accounts. I'll get to more in a little bit. And then you leave, you know, the big media outlets now have a monopoly on news and information. And so if you, you could try to sanitize the world, but somebody's going to report on what the freaking president is saying, duh, yeah, somebody's going to do that. So I just think it's, I think it's silly. I think it's, these social media companies want to feel like they're good people doing good things in the world, and they've been yelled at nonstop about, oh, my God, all the hate that's fostering on your websites. And so they're taking action so that they could turn around and say, see, see, I'm a good person. I do good things. See, I banned Trump. I suspended him. So... You know, it just it strikes me as silly, and it, it, it strikes me like this attempt to be a good person is like pissing into the ocean. It's not really changing anything, it's not really doing anything, and if anything, it makes you embrace the idea of censorship and deplatforming, which are deeply illiberal concepts. So um, we're just getting warmed up here. That's one issue, that's what happened with Twitch. Then we go on to YouTube. YouTube banned six far-right channels. Um, The removed accounts include those owned by far-right political entertainer Stefan Molyneux, white nationalist outlets American Renaissance and Radix Journal, as well as longtime Ku Klux Klan leader David Duke. YouTube also removed two associated channels, one belonging to alt-right poster boy Richard Spencer and another hosting... American Renaissance podcasts. Quote, we have strict policies prohibiting hate speech on YouTube and terminate any channels that repeatedly uh, or egregiously violate those policies. After updating our guidelines to better address supremacist content, we saw a five-time spike in video removals and have terminated over 25,000 channels for violating our hate speech policies, a YouTube spokesperson told Right Wing Watch in an email. All right, so all right, we open the door. We're going down this path. You need to understand it's not going to stop here. You need to understand it's not going to stop here. So as soon as you start banning, deplatforming, nitpicking, filtering who's okay and who's not okay, what happens is there is a massive, colossal, gargantuan gray area. Some things everybody looks at and goes, oh, my God, that's so extreme, everybody kind of understands it and gets it. If there's a channel that is outright <laughs> pushing Nazism, I think most people would look at that and go, I get it. I get it. But listen, then you go to a guy like Stefan Malik- here? <laughs> and I'm no fan of the guy, believe me. And I think that he is, I, you know, I've covered some of his stuff when he had moments of, like, complete bigotry or, or white nationalist. Apologetics. He did this whole documentary on Poland, and he was like, "See, it's very white, and everything. Okay, everything here is good." So he's not—he's not a good guy. Don't get it twisted. But the overwhelming majority of the stuff on his channel is not really race-related. And he used to be like this hardcore libertarian guy, and then he kind of became more of a paleo conservative with the Trump era and hopped on the Trump bandwagon and his ideas became more in line with Trump. Like, he used to advocate for totally open borders because he was a strict anarcho-capitalist libertarian. And then he went, where's the wind blowing here? Oh, it's going in the other direction? Okay, now I'm like Donald Trump, but I'm like a paleo-conservative and I want to shut down the borders. But, you know, he has thousands of videos on his channel. Thousands of them. And the idea that every single one of those videos is problematic, is white nationalist stuff, is unacceptable. That's just not true. I mean, there were instances of him just debating the tax code with people. There are instances of him debating free will versus determinism. Again, this is not a defense. I don't like Stefan Molyneux as a person, and I don't agree with his political opinions at all. But to try to say that he is, like, equal to Richard Spencer, that's just not true. I mean, you could that's just factually wrong. He's not as bad as Richard Spencer is, period. He's just not. So, see, this is what I mean. When, as soon as you allow banning, deplatforming, well, now that door's open. Now the discussion is, who do you ban and deplatform, And there is no way to walk that line effectively and correctly. Because I got news for everybody out there. So you went after a bunch of far-right channels. Okay. You know what happens next, right? What happens next is people go, the right cries bloody murder. And they go, you took down all these channels. What about the far-left channels that are also preaching hate, that also are problematic, that also have issues? So what's next? I don't know. They'll probably take some far-left, black nationalist-type channel. Now, you guys might be scoffing and saying, no, there's no such thing. (laughs) There is such a thing as black nationalism, and I have heard some curious arguments from, from, from that philosophy, from that ideological perspective. So you just wait. There'll be some Black Lives Matter channel that gets pulled down. Maybe they have, you know, some um, video of the famous incident years ago where they were talking about cops and they said pigs in a blanket, fry them like bacon. Maybe they'll take down some communist stuff. It's easy to, to wrap your mind around that. Some, some tanky stuff. Stalin ap- apologetics. You know, these are these things seem extreme, but... They exist. They definitely exist. There's this guy who's this hardcore um, Maoist, I think, and Jason Unruh or something like that. I I, I saw his channel like three years ago or something like that, and I was kind of amazed (laughs) that that still is around. But I guess I shouldn't be in the same way that, you know, am am I surprised that they're far-right white nationalists? No. Like, obviously, that's a thing that exists. There are also Maoists exist. So, but anyway, once you say, all right, let's ban, well, the far right channels are getting banned here. But then, the, of course, the far right's going to scream bloody murder, and the right's going to scream bloody murder, and then they're going to go after the left, and they're going to find examples where they can pull them down on the left. Guys, Jimmy Dore was smeared in CNN as a conspiracy theorist and it was linked with, like, Alex Jones and, you know, a bunch of stuff. Why would they not come after 9-11 conspiracy videos? Why would they not come after those? Because they're going to say, hey, that's extreme, that's outside of the, you know, the realm of polite society, you shouldn't be debating that, a lot of people died, and you're blaming the U.S. government, this is a conspiracy theory, this is not acceptable, and we're going to pull down all the 9-11 conspiracy theory stuff. Again, once you open that door to censorship and deplatforming, there's no shutting it. There's no such thing as just a little bit of censorship, just a little bit of deplatforming. What happens is, it is non-stop. Now, some of you might listen to my commentary now and say, I, Kyle, I don't agree with you um, because I think they're only going to limit it to the far right, and they're only going to go after the people who are clearly problematic. Well, <laughs> I can disprove you in real time. So Reddit has banned the subreddit "The Donald" and Chapo Trap House among 2,000 online communities in huge purge. It joins social media sites like Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, reckoning with hate speech and misinformation. This literally case in point of what I just told you. So they ban-, ban the far right sites. Some of them are really far right. I don't want to downplay that. They ban them. And then they go, well, we obviously got to go after the far left now, too, because it's only fair. And so they say, oh, the Donald, you know, these this subreddit's out of control. Well, so are the Chapo Trap House people. Now, I don't know, I'm sure most of my audience knows who Chapel Trap House is, but those guys are awesome, and they're hilarious, (laughs) and um, their audience is largely the same, but see, they need to play the game of the false equivalent, oh my god, the far right's bad, but also the far left is bad, and they're roughly equal, so just ban them both. This is what happens when you embrace censorship. This is what happens when you embrace, you know, this kind of ideology, when you embrace deplatforming. Guys... I'm on that list. <laughs> I don't know how far down you got to go to find me on that list, but I'm on that list of, oh, it's somewhat problematic. We already know, I know as a matter of fact, that YouTube deprioritizes my show and the algorithm along with many other independent left-wing shows. I know that as a matter of fact. Why? Well, The Hill, for example, now I'm not, I love the show, I'm not besmirching them by in any way, shape, or form, but The Hill, we got lucky in that The Hill, with uh, rising with Crystal and Sager, they... The Hill is a corporation, and that's the parent company that has the show for their channel. So they get prioritized by the algorithm. Look at the rapid, rapid growth of that channel. Now, again, that's not to say downplay the work they do. I, I mean, they do a good job. But my point is, when the algorithm favors you, you grow at that pace. If the algorithm favored secular talk, we would grow at that pace. I started with a giant whatever, 700,000 subscriber lead on on rising. They're going to pass me at some point. Now, are they just that much better than me? No. It's that the algorithm prioritizes them. So I know that my show is deprioritized by the algorithm as well as many other independent left-wing shows. So obviously, I'm not in the total white-listed category where, you know, oh, totally authoritative and acceptable source. No. No. I'm obviously deprioritized in one sense, so how do I know I'm going to escape a ban when you already started banning and deplatforming? All it takes is some right-wing hacks to dig up some old video of me saying the United States is the world's biggest terrorist, and boom, we're off to the races. You know, you think things I say are not controversial because you agree with them. But to a Ted Cruz viewer or a Steven Crowder viewer, they look at me like I'm Satan reincarnate. So no matter how common sense you think your positions are, you're always pissing off somebody. You're always offending somebody, which is why you should not open the door to deplatforming and censorship. Because they will always come for you. They will always come for you. I think everything I say is true. I think everything I say is common sense. But... There's plenty of people who disagree, and there's plenty of people who would say, oh, Kyle, look at his hate speech against the 1%. Look at his hate speech against billionaires and corporations. Look at his hate speech against the military-industrial complex. Look at his hate speech against the U.S. military. And again, you think all oh, the left, is, you know, their hands are clean. <laughs> look at some of, the, some of the talking points and commentary against police. Look at it. You don't think they're going to flip that and use it on you in the same kind of way that stuff is being used against the right right now? Of course course they are. Of course they are. Of course they are. It's just amazing to me that people don't realize that if you're cheering this on, it's so short-sighted. It is going to come for you 100%. 100%. So, under what, like, what rationale are they using to make this move? Well, in the case of Reddit, here are the new rules. Reddit introduced eight rules on Monday that users and communities must follow to remain on the site, which now explicitly ban targeted harassment. We're going to go through these one by one so everybody can get a sense of how many of these make sense and how many don't. Targeted harassment, revealing other people's personal information. So that's doxing. I totally get banning that. Posting sexually explicit media of someone without their consent. I totally get banning that. Posting any sexual or subjective suggestive content involving minors. Well, of course, that's pedophilia and that's gotta go. Selling any illegal substances and more. So all those so far, hey, we're totally fine. But rule number one on Reddit's updated content policy is remember the human barring users from, quote, attacking marginalized or vulnerable groups of people, and noting that, quote, everyone has a right to use Reddit free of harassment, bullying, and threats of violence. Now, yes, direct threats of violence, that's even, that's even, even with our First Amendment and our absolutism on free speech in this country, it is illegal to do direct threats of violence, so everybody gets that, but, People have a right to use Reddit free of harassment and bullying, but hold on. How the hell can we objectively define that? We can objectively define direct threats of violence. It's clear. Hey, did somebody make a direct threat of violence? You could easily tell that right away. Free of harassment and bullying? One person's ribbing is another person's bullying and harassment. One person's joke is another person's bullying and harassment. There's no objective standard by which we can determine what harassing and bullying is. There's no objective standard where we can determine attacking a marginalized or or, or vulnerable group of people. I mean, again, they say, oh, now we're going after hate speech on all these platforms. How the hell do you define that? How the hell do you define hate speech? Is it hate speech when I rail against Wall Street? Is it hate speech when I rail against billionaires? Is it hate speech when I rail against the U.S. military and the military industrial complex? Is it hate speech when I rail against our politicians? Is that hate speech? Because I do hate them. I do hate our politicians. I do hate Wall Street. I do hate the military industrial complex. I do hate the billionaires. I do hate the 1%. I hate them. I hate them. Where do you draw the line? There is no way to do it and get out of this unscathed which is why again if you're cheering this on it's so short-sighted guys Facebook I believe had already done this and I talked about it one of the like the first or second time I was on Rogan's podcast they pulled down a bunch of a bunch of pages that were say they oh they're questionable in terms of where their funding came from or whatever one of the most copwatch it just highlighted when cops broke the law and did police brutality once you start censoring and deplatforming, of course they're going to take down stuff like Copwatch. Of course they're going to go after every communist channel, every fringe Black Lives Matter channel. The left is going to be targeted just as much as the right, any anti-establishment left voices. Every step of the way, the left pushed back against the Iraq war BS. We would have been banned under this climate back in 2003 when they were doing the build-up to war. If I came out here and said, Colin Powell is lying. Saddam does not have weapons of mass destruction and he does not work with Al-Qaeda. They would have said, that's fake news. you got to pull him down or at the very least deprioritize him in the algorithm. Russiagate, every step of the way, we were right on Russiagate. Mainstream media was wrong. Are there consequences for mainstream media? No. They would have deprioritized us. They would have tried to censor us. When it came to the 2016 election, we were reporting on the WikiLeaks stuff which found that the The primary was rigged in favor of Hillary and against Bernie. When you report on that, mainstream media calls you a conspiracy theorist. Mainstream media tells you, you're wrong, and you're pushing out fake news. But under this logic, they ban that stuff, or at the very least, deprioritize it. So we've opened the door now. And don't you dare say, no, 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 it'll just only be the bad people. I just told you, Chapo Trap House was banned along with the Donald. How do you not see it? It's right in front of your eyes. So it really sickens me when I see left-wingers defending. Now we have corporations are the ultimate arbiter of truth and justice and free speech. You guys have been begging Mark Zuckerberg and Jack from Twitter and the board at Reddit and the Twitch people. You've been begging them to filter and censor and deplatform and determine what's okay and what's not okay? Why the hell would you trust a bunch of Silicon Valley billionaires to determine what makes sense and what doesn't make sense? By the way, another left-wing group they'll come after? Pro-Palestinian voices. How? They'll just smear them all as being anti-Semitic. Pull them down. They're all anti-Semites. This is what's going to happen, people! It's the people with the money and the power who are going to determine what's okay and what's not okay. It's a typical strategy to pick out at first you go to the fringe voices that everybody agrees are terrible people and are so extreme you ban them like what happened with alex jones it was never about alex jones it was about can we get rid of him and let's see what the pushback is like oh we were able to get rid of him well let's get rid of a couple more let's get rid of a couple more and and away we go until there's only authoritative voices left they originally picked somebody who we all agree is terrible so that they, let, they make everybody accept the principle of what they just did, namely the principle of censorship. And now we're off to the races, and there's no going back. Anybody who cheered this on is so short-sighted and so stupid. So stupid. In my opinion, I think we need the same kind of free speech protections in the digital realm as we have when it comes to the Constitution of the United States of America. So namely, every big social media company should be regulated like it's a public utility and free speech protection should apply. That's the only way out of this as far as I see. You have to regulate all big social media companies as a public utility. You have to say these are the new town square and so free speech is protected. That doesn't mean you could do libel. That doesn't mean you could do slander. That doesn't mean you could do direct threats of violence or doxing. All that stuff still won't be allowed. But fringe political opinions they're definitely going to be allowed. They're definitely going to be allowed. Because who the hell is going to be the philosopher king who determines what's acceptable and what's not acceptable? It always comes back to personal taste on that front. That's what we need. We need the First Amendment online. And unfortunately, everybody who's in power and the majority of people are begging more censorship, more deplatforming, more filtering, because they're just such terrible people out there who have too much power and sway so we got to do something well careful what you wish for you just gave silicon valley billionaires a hell of a lot more power and um you're not going to agree with all the decisions that they make so we're in that orwellian 1984 style scary world it's already here All right, next. I'm going to go to a Trump story, which is actually kind of breaking. All right, here we go. So I have some news here that's breaking, at least in terms of when this segment is being recorded. I'm not sure exactly when it's hitting YouTube. But um, The Hill says, just in, House Committee votes to put roadblocks on President Trump's ability to withdraw forces from Afghanistan. You cannot make this stuff up. So here we have, you know how they always scream about bipartisanship in Washington, D.C.? Oh, my God, we need, the, we need the Democrats and the Republicans to come together, yes! In some instances, yes. If they're coming together to end war, if they're coming together to do criminal justice reform, if they're coming together on any positive issues, of course. But unfortunately, the overwhelming majority of the time the Democrats and Republicans work together is to keep doing terrible stuff like Wall Street deregulation, or cutting taxes, or continuing war. So, the amendment was approved 45 to 11. Overwhelming consensus that the correct thing to do is to block Trump from pulling troops out of Afghanistan. You know who led the charge? It was Liz Cheney and... Democratic representative from Colorado, Jason Crow. Let me repeat his name. Democratic representative from Colorado, Jason Crow. Jason Crow worked with Liz Cheney to try to continue our endless wars. Now listen, don't get it twisted in terms of Trump. He didn't want to go, he doesn't want to withdraw all the troops from Afghanistan because he's a cuck to the military-industrial complex. But he didn't want to take out about 4,000 troops which would leave anywhere from four to 8,000 more in the country, but he wanted to begin the withdrawal. So now you have Democrats and Republicans getting together to say, no, totally unacceptable. We're going to try to force Trump to keep these troops there. Every fear I had about what would become of the resistance in the Trump years has come true. Every single fear I had. These are people who fundamentally believe in nothing except being anti-Trump in the same way that Republicans, Mitch McConnell, John Boehner under Obama, believed in nothing except being anti-Obama. To the point where, when Obama proposed their health care reform, a Republican health care reform, a conservative health care reform that came from the Heritage Foundation, which is one of their think tanks, all of a sudden, McConnell and Boehner and all the Republicans are like, no, we're against it. I know you're proposing our policy and our idea that we came up with, that we were four or five years ago, but now we're against it because you're for it. So now Trump's trying to take 4,000 troops out of Afghanistan, which isn't nearly enough, but he's trying to take 4,000 troops out of Afghanistan, and Democrats are agreeing with neoconservatives like Liz Cheney and saying, oh, so how dare you try to take our troops out of Afghanistan? We need you to stay in Afghanistan. Make an argument as to why. Why should we stay in Afghanistan? Why? By the way, the thing that they keep citing in this, Oh, my God, the Russian bounty on, the, on our soldiers' heads. The Russians are paying the Taliban to kill our soldiers. By the way, zero evidence of that. The Taliban was have been fighting us for 19 years. They don't need funding from Russia to do it. They're going to do it no matter what. But they keep bringing that up as a reason for us to say, What is that reason for us to say?" If that were true, and it's not, but if that were true, that's even more of a reason to get our troops out. You know how you save American lives? You save American troops from being killed. Get them out of harm's way, you absolute dingbats. That's how you save American lives. Hey, if we weren't in Afghanistan, there wouldn't be troops getting killed, now would there? Hmm, maybe I should bring them home. No, they'd rather put on a show, virtue signal about how much they love the troops, and keep the troops there, to continue to get into fights with the Taliban, and continue to die. These people believe in nothing. Guys, I remember... When I was first getting into politics heavily when I was younger, and it was the Iraq War was going on, we were at the height of the Iraq War, and there did seem to be a continual push from the Democrats to get out of the war. And I was like, oh, this is great. At least the the Democrats believe in ending wars. That's wonderful. It was just political posturing at the time in the same way that this is just political posturing now. Because Trump said, let's take 4,000 troops out. Now, so many Democrats— The majority, they're like, no, now we need to stay there because he wants to pull him out, so I want to stay there. Go ahead. Make an argument as to why we should stay. Why are we there? Why are we there? You know why the original reason was, right? We got to go to Osama bin Laden. Osama bin Laden and al-Qaeda are being protected by the Taliban. Okay. He's been dead for over a decade. He's gone. He's dead. Why are we still there? They said we're in Iraq because we got to get Saddam. Saddam's been dead for over a decade, too. And we're in Afghanistan because we got to get Osama bin Laden. He's been dead for over a decade. So, okay, declare victory and come home. But guys, they don't even bother making an argument. I remember back when people, when people followed this stuff closely and the news followed it closely, they had to make an argument as to why we're there and why we should stay there. Just like the whole General Petraeus thing with MoveOn.org, they called him General Petraeus because he was saying, let's stay there, and he wasn't really given a clear argument as to why and what the end goal is and how we can declare victory. People are like, what the hell is this? This is crazy. Well, now everybody just accepts that we're there. There's no definition of victory. There's no actual reason for being there that's, that they can explain in a simple way. But it's just, it's just universally understood. Like, well, obviously we stay there, and we stay there permanently. They can't define victory. They can't tell you why we're there. They just know that Trump now wants 4,000 troops out, so I'm on the opposite side of him. I want the 4,000 troops in. These people and their rank stupidity are going to get people killed, literally. I hate this, man. You have no idea how much I hate this stuff. I hate it so much. This kills me. The neocons and the resistance Democrats got together to say, let's stay in Afghanistan forever, and I'm going to give you a reason why or how. By the way, you know know why we're actually there, right? In the case of Iraq, it absolutely had a lot to do with oil and those no-big contracts in the military-industrial complex getting rich. In the case of Afghanistan, it has to do with tremendous mineral wealth, trillions of dollars in mineral wealth, and the military-industrial complex continuing to get rich as well, and taking control of a vital region in the world, which would give us a geopolitical advantage against China and Russia. This is why we're really there. Now, they can't say that, because then they'd be asking people to risk their lives to be pawns on the geopolitical chessboard and to make certain people rich. Can't say that because then you look like the assholes that you are and the imperialists that you are. So instead, we don't give you a reason. We'll just fearmonger about Russia and then just go send you there to die. The Iraq war will cost $7 trillion when all is said and done. The war in Afghanistan costs $2 trillion. Imagine what we could have done with that $9 trillion. How many times over could we have rebuilt our infrastructure and made it the best in the world? Made it an A+. plus. How many times could we have done that? How many people could we give health care to and for how long? Nine trillion dollars is a lot of money now, isn't it? How many, um, how many people can we give college to? We could wipe out the, the student debt how many times? I don't know how much the student debt is anymore, but at least five or six times, right? We could wipe out the student debt. All these things we could do. All these things we could do. But no, they don't care about you, man. Our politicians don't care about you. They don't care about you even a little bit. They don't have an ideology. They don't have a philosophy. They're corrupt morons. And don't get a twisted. I'm sure that a lot of these politicians who are on the side now of staying in Afghanistan forever, I'm sure you go look at who's contributing to them. You'll find some military industrial complex money in there. You'll find some defense contractors in there for sure. So one of the reasons they do this is corruption. The other reason is that I really do think they're that stupid. And just the fact that Trump wants to take out 4,000 troops means they want to keep him in. Period. End of discussion. Now, thankfully, Ro Khanna is standing up on this and trying to fight back. And Ro Khanna and Matt Gates are actually working together. That's not a combo that you're going to see together very often at all. But if he wants to end the war and, and Ro Khanna wants to end the war, by all means, work together. Get as many together as you can. You know, in the Senate, get Rand Paul, get Mike Lee. Um, on the Democratic side, of course, you get Bernie on that front. See, this, and again, this goes back to one of the debates we were recently having about when can you form alliances. And my answer to that is the most straightforward answer imaginable. When you freaking agree, you form the alliance. So can we make a liberta- libertarian Tea Party conservative slash paleocon and leftist alliance on ending the war? Yes! Yes! Do it! Do it! And call out everybody who's in your way who's blocking this. Nine trillion dollars. Nine trillion dollars. How many hundreds of thousands of civilian lives in Iraq and Afghanistan together? How many thousands of our soldiers' lives? And they're concern-trolling and keeping us there. Here's your bipartisanship. Your bipartisanship is Democrats and Republicans working together to do the wrong thing keep us in Afghanistan. We've been there for 19 years with no end in sight. It's a national disgrace. And anybody who's on the side of keeping us there is our enemy. They're our enemy. We need to destroy all of them on the right and the left at the ballot box, all of them. Because this is beyond unacceptable. This is morally egregious. These are immoral, unethical, idiotic cretins, and every single one of them needs to be called out. All right, now let me tell you about remdesivir. All right, let's go. So we now have the official prices set for the COVID drug remdesivir. Public Citizen says the following. Gilead, that's the pharma company, is pricing its COVID drug remdesivir at $3,120 for patients with insurance. That's 10 times higher than the suggested benchmark price. U.S. taxpayers have paid at least Seventy million to develop this drug. This is deeply immoral. So I'm going to, that last point is actually off. U.S. taxpayers have paid more than 70 million. I'll come back to that in a minute, but um, let me give you some more information here. So this drug is originally an Ebola drug. It's originally an Ebola drug. We found that it helps particularly, I believe, with severe COVID patients. So sold now to high-income governments for $390 a vial. That's for a total of $2,340 for a standard five-day treatment. That's the price that every developed country with a, with a universal health care system, single-payer health care system, that's the price that they're going to pay. Now, they have the way they price drugs over there is, makes a lot more sense. They have this public board which openly negotiates with the drug companies, and the whole process is very transparent, and so they get much cheaper drug prices than we do. We don't have that here in the U.S. We just pay whatever the hell the pharmaceutical companies shake us down and and tell us we pay. So they're paying $390 a vial. Okay. Now, beyond that, you have 127 lower-income countries, countries like India, Egypt, and Bangladesh. They're going to get generic drugs, the generic version of remdesivir, and their prices per vial will be between $59 and $71. So high-income governments paying $390 a vial, the generic version going to the lower-income countries between $59 and $71 a vial. I mean, there should already be questions popping up in your mind as to how we're working this thing and why this is insane. Now, in most developed countries the drug will be purchased by the government and administered totally free of cost to hospitalized patients. In the U.S., of course, it won't. The amount of money that we're paying, America's private buyers are paying $520 per file. $520. So that's $3,120 for the typical treatment. Now, the CARES Act provides reimbursements for remdesivir, to hospitals that are treating uninsured or underinsured COVID patients. But it places the onus on hospitals to not bill patients and instead apply for reimbursement. But what's been happening is hospitals have been billing patients for the drug, and it's at an exorbitant rate, get this, 497% of the drug's cost on average. So even though in the CARES Act hospitals are supposed to get reimbursed for uninsured or underinsured patients, they're charging anyway, and they're charging them way more than what they should charge them. This is typical hospital price gouging in the U.S., which happens all the time. So now let me get to the bottom line here. U.S. taxpayers invested over $99 million to create this drug, and again, now they're turning around and charging $520 a vial for you know, private buyers here. Remember, it could be as low as $59 a vial in, in developing countries. $520 per vial for private buyers here in the U.S. We invested 99 million, over $99 million to make this. So taxpayers funded it. A, a pharma company has the rights to it. They create it and then they price gouge people again. We pay for the creation of it, and then they turn around and say, thank you for that, now we're going to price gouge you again because we have the rights to the drug. Watchdogs came out and said, hold on now, because everybody was talking about, oh, maybe the pharma companies will do the right thing since the pandemic. China is creating their own generic version of this, and they said it's free for everybody. Only the US can make China look like this bastion of you know bastion of justice. And they say, hey, it's not a copyright infringement because we're not profiting off of it. If they were profiting off of it, then they then the US could say that's a copyright infringement, that's not allowed. They say, no, 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 we're not even gonna profit off it. We're gonna create our own generic version and it's free for everybody. Meanwhile, we're price gouging people. Now, the pharma company said, Wait,
0: we gotta we gotta this Oh, we can't even afford to we, do we don't
1: much. Nonsense. Analysts expect Gilead to make over $525 million globally on Remdesivir sales this year alone. And you ready for this? Next year, they're going to make more than $2 billion in 2021 on Remdesivir. 2 billion so when they say
0: oh, we can't afford it, we can't afford the cheaper price. Oh, we got to keep our operations
1: going. Oh. Total bullshit. Complete bullshit. Listen, the solution to this is is simple. You got to nationalize the entire health industry. Forget having single payer health care. That's correct. We should have that. Um, you know, the government is the single insurer. Of course, that's what because we're just copy developed countries and they have better systems than we do. That's what we should do here. But beyond that, yeah, all of pharma should be nationalized. Why? We do a lot of the research anyway with our tax money. Universities do a lot of this research. So we do the research, we develop the drugs, and then they price gouge us anyway, and some private company buys up the rights to it. Why are we allowing this unnecessary, rapacious, mafia-like middleman? There's no reason for them. They're not producing any value. So, listen, I'm not going full communist on on you here. I'm not saying every industry ever should be nationalized. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is every health industry, because some things are simply too important to be left to the private marketplace. Some things should not have the profit motive involved health is like one of the biggest things in that category. So that means not just our health insurance, not just our health care, but also our pharmaceuticals, absolutely. And you're out of your mind if you think this is going to hurt, you know, the, um, how advanced the drugs are, as if it's necessary to have have this within a capitalist structure. But it's obviously... Not necessary, because I just told you, our money funds the creation of a lot of these drugs. So it's already partly socialized, then you just give the rights over to private companies who turn around and price gouge us. Basically what I'm saying is, let's get rid of the middleman price gougers. There's no reasonable argument against that. None. So that's what I would do. That's what we should do. Because this is unacceptable. We're going to let them get away with murder here. It's a pandemic. Oh, and by the way, the other thing is, the US is apparently going to stockpile like, all the remdesivir up front, so other countries are going to struggle to get it. I'm at a loss for words. I mean, this is unacceptable. This is unacceptable. This needs to change. And by the way, turn on the mainstream media outlets. See how many of them are talking about this in the same way I'm talking about it. Good luck. And now you know why we're deprioritizing the algorithm. All right, next. After I read you a portion of this article based on an analysis released late last week by the Institute for Policy Studies, you're going to fully understand what the CARES Act was for. There seems to be a lot of confusion out there as to what exactly was going on with the CARES Act, and there were a lot of people who were defending Bernie's vote, for example it was inexcusable. It was inexcusable because what you're about to hear now is the real reason why we had the CARES Act, why we had the COVID bailouts, why the Federal Reserve did what they did. So look at this. As the COVID-19 pandemic overtook the U.S., it brought with it an unprecedented financial crisis and unemployment rates at their highest level since the Great Depression, especially among Black, Hispanic, and Asian workers. 16.8%, 17.6%, and 15% in May, compared to 12.4% for whites. At least 45 million people have filed for unemployment since the pandemic began. 45 million! Yet between March 18th and June 17th, as the pandemic raged, the combined wealth of the 614 U.S. billionaires increased by $584 billion, according to an analysis, released late last week by the Institute for Policy Studies, a progressive think tank based in Washington, D.C. That's half a trillion dollars it went up. The researchers calculated the billionaire's wealth gains based on real-time data from Forbes. Experts said the wealth of the richest Americans is tied more closely than the rest of America to the stock market, which crashed at the onset of the crisis but has rallied since, largely detached from the broader economic picture. Now do you see what the CARES Act was for? Now do you see what the Federal Reserve did and why they did it? This is the whole point. This was the whole point. So as 45 million Americans lost their jobs, the real unemployment rate is over 20%. And by the way, a lot of people who still have jobs took giant pay cuts, 20%, 30% pay cuts across the board, at least. As that was happening, the billionaires in the US gained half a trillion dollars in wealth. Their wealth went up. Why? Socialism, baby. When the Federal Reserve, the central bank steps up and says, "Listen, we're not going to stop here. We're just going to we're going to do endless what's called quantitative easing, which is just a fancy way of saying what's effectively a central bank subsidy which is just, we're just going to throw money at the problem. So they said, hey, if we have to, to keep the stock market afloat, we'll pump in a trillion dollars a day, a day. So you had a trillion dollars a day being pumped in to stabilize the markets. You had Congress step up and say, yeah, we're going to do the CARES Act. We're going to do this massive, what is effectively a $5 trillion bailout of the industries, Top-down bailouts, not bottom-up, because bottom-up bailout would be give money to the people. None of that. And this was the result. This was the real reason why they did it. Guys, Naomi Klein wrote a book called The Shock Doctrine, where she explains how capitalists exploit tragedies, natural disasters, acute crises. They step in, they scream bloody murder. Oh, my God, oh, my God, we got this, oh, my God, we don't do this. Everything's going to go crazy. Everything's going to die. We're all going to be terrible. we got to do this now. And what do you get when they do stuff like that? Endless wars, for example. Wall Street bailouts, for example. And this time, the endless Federal Reserve quantitative easing for the market. And uh, the COVID bailouts, the CARES Act, which, again, propped up industry and propped up billionaires. So this, this is the whole reason why they did it. They exploited a tragedy. They exploited a tragedy to solidify their stranglehold on the economy. Giant Giant, giant reverse Robin Hood move. By the way, this isn't exactly a fair graphic here. <laughs> these people are billionaires, but like, I don't know, is it Kylie Jenner or something? Like, <laughs> I don't know if these ones in particular are, you know, the biggest beneficiaries. But nonetheless, the billionaires who live in this country gained. I'm sorry, I said almost half a trillion. No, over half a trillion, because it's 584 billion. Over half a trillion dollars in wealth they gained as everybody in the rest of the country is getting obliterated. This is the corporate socialism that Bernie and Richard Wolf talk about, where where the government and the Federal Reserve lets the industries and the captains of industry know, no matter what, you guys won't fail. You guys won't fail. The people, they're already deeply entrenched in Failsville. you guys will not fail. This is the kind of economy we've set up. And just so everybody understands, the reason why this happens and the reason why they get away with it is because the billionaires and the corporations own the politicians, which is why they got bailed out as everybody else was screwed. Because the billionaires and the corporations have been giving money to the politicians for years for them to run their campaigns. And so it's, I scratch your back, you scratch mine. So they turned around in this crisis and took advantage of it. To hand the keys to the treasury over to the billionaires and the corporations. And that's what we're seeing. And that's what we're seeing. You could have done a bottom-up bailout. Could have gave money directly to the people. Could have done a UBI. Could have done Medicare for all. Could have nationalized wages like Germany did. They didn't do it. Because those governments are representing their people. Our governments are representing the billionaires and the corporations. And now you know exactly why they did the CARES Act and exactly why they did the giant Federal Reserve quantitative easing program. This is why. As the federal government is sitting back and not doing nearly enough to fight this pandemic, and to fight this depression. Thankfully, at the state and local level, you do have some actions being taken. So UBI is finally getting its moment in the spotlight. The mayors of Los Angeles, Oakland, California, Atlanta, Georgia, Tacoma, Washington, Newark, New Jersey, St. Paul, Minnesota, Jackson, Mississippi, Compton, California, Shreveport, Louisiana, and Stockton, California, have joined Mayors for a Guaranteed Income, a coalition advocating for UBI policies or the idea of giving out recurring cash payments to all individuals without any strings attached. Mayors for a Guaranteed Income was founded by Michael Tubbs, the 29-year-old mayor of Stockton, who launched one of the first Guaranteed Income pilots in the U.S. last year, along with the Economic Security Project, a nonprofit supporting the idea of creating an income floor for all Americans. Though the coalition will advocate collectively for a Guaranteed Income and share information, each city will launch their own pilot, with separate funding streams, either by creating a working group to find room in the city budget or by forming public-private partnerships, Tubbs told Forbes. So, listen to this. Mayor Tubbs announced Stockton's UBI program in 2017. Now, this program, since he's doing it, you know, at at the local level, it's harder to do something like this at the local level, but what he did is he found a way to give $500 monthly to the 125 residents Um, And it went for 18 months, and it was just renewed through January 2021, and most recipients spent their money on groceries and utility bills, and it was a lifeline for people waiting for coronavirus unemployment assistance. We know how disastrous the unemployment system has been during this crisis. And one recipient took unpaid time off from an hourly position to interview for another job with more benefits, something that he wouldn't have been able to do without the lifeline of the UBI. Uh, Now, by the way, Thomas Paine was for a UBI, Martin Luther King Jr. was for a UBI, and then more recently we have researchers in Finland, Kenya, Canada, and the Netherlands have begun conducting their own UBI uh, pilot programs, and Alaska already has it. If I'm not mistaken in Alaska, it's tied to the oil wealth, I believe, Um, But basically the argument is, hey, this land is the land of Alaskans and we're not just going to give it away to private oil companies so that they can reap the rewards. You need to basically pay us for taking our oil from our land and so everybody who's a citizen of Alaska gets a a UBI check. I don't know how much it is, to be fair, but they have it and suffice to say you don't have a situation where, because this is an argument that some people make, they go, oh, well, then people are not going to want to work. They're not going to want to be productive. That's just not true. That's just not true. If you give people what is effectively an allowance, what's effectively a floor, they use it for those floor things, namely groceries and utility bills. So, And then also another thing that doesn't happen is it doesn't immediately lead to the system being gamed and, like, you know, all the landlords jacking up the rent, $500, because the UBI thing is $500. In the places that they've tried UBI, that hasn't happened. And the money has definitely come in handy. So I think the arguments against UBI are honestly kind of flimsy. It works. It, it's like social security for all. That's what I like to call it, social security for all. And so it's finally getting its, its moment in the spotlight here, and I'm happy. And so you have mayors of a bunch of these you know, cities and towns who are saying, we're going to do a UBI program. And one of the reasons they're doing it is because with COVID-19, it's such a giant crisis and so many people lost their jobs and the federal government isn't doing nearly enough. So they feel like they're in a position where they have to do something. And this is the quickest, most direct way to give people support, to give people a lifeline. This is the easiest way to fix the problem. Just direct cash right into their pockets. So I love it. And, of course, credit to Andrew Yang for kind of putting this front and center and mainstreaming UBI. I think it's fair to say, hey, I don't agree with the exact way he constructs his or whatever. There are reasonable criticisms of it. But overall, the fact that he put UBI on the map and made it something that's, um, you know, now seemingly conventional and mainstream, I think that's wonderful. And now COVID-19 is making it so way more people, the polls for UBI now are off the charts. The majority of people support it. So I think it's, it's great, and I, I want to see more of it, maybe some state experiments where individual states do a UBI. And honestly, ideally, you'd want the federal government to do it, but they're not representing us. And really, they're just doing full corporate socialism while letting the people rot. And that's what's happening right in front of our eyes. All right, next. So there's a prominent conservative by the name of Scott Adams, and he was trending on Twitter the other day. And um, the reason I have uh, Dilbert here is because he apparently created the comic Dilbert. Okay? Um, I was never a big reader of Dilbert, or even comics in general, I hate to say. But, um, yeah, this guy is uh, curious. This guy is strange. I've seen him say a couple things previously. I think he's like friends with Steven Crowder, and he reminds me, he's like a Crowder type or Shapiro type conservative. He's one of those guys who's just, so he's drenched in politics up to his eyeballs, and he eats, sleeps, and breathes of this stuff. And he's just a down-the-line, standard, right-wing kind of character. And um, I, I found out why he's trending, and honestly, it's hilarious. So he said the following. If Biden is elected, there's a good chance you will be dead within the year. Police will stand down. Republicans will be hunted. What planet does he live on? What planet do so many of these prominent conservatives live on? What's his face is to Dean Cain? He's apparently just this huge right winger. I want whatever this guy's having, because he's got to be high as balls to say something like this. If Joe Biden gets elected... Joe Biden is basically a moderate Republican. If Joe Biden gets elected, conservatives will be dead within a year. Really? What's Joe Biden going to do? Is he going to launch a, a genocide of Republicans and conservatives? Is that what he's going to do? Is that what he's going to do? Well, what he, what he really means here is he's saying, no, 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 the violent mobs in the street will attack us and Biden won't stop it yet these guys are living in, on a different planet. I mean, they've been replaying on Fox News the video of the first night of riots and looting. Why? Because that was when most of it was. And then you had a little bit more go on for another day or two, and then that was it. Maybe there's, it's sporadic here and there, but now it's mostly peaceful protests, and, you know, you could say pulling down statues. He would probably include that in, in riots under the riot category. But that's what's going on. What's the body count? What's the body count of people who are dead as a result of antifa (laughs) like what's the body count on that he says you'll be dead within the year police will stand down police will stand down what does that even mean police will stand down from what a conservative genocide a republican genocide he says republicans will be hunted joe biden spent most of his career agreeing with republicans he wanted to cut social security something this guy probably agrees with he wanted to cut Medicare, Medicaid. He's a tough-on-crime guy. He wrote the damn crime bill, which locked up so many people. Again, something he probably supports is a tough-on-crime guy. See, this goes to show you there is no, there's no appeasing the unappeasable. There's no appeasing this guy. Biden could say all day long, I agree with you, dude. Guy would be like, you want me dead.
0: You want me dead. Oh, my God.
1: No appeasing him. It's literally just because Biden has a D by his name that this guy loses all critical thinking ability and he thinks, you know, conservatives are going to be killed. They're going to be hunted down. The police will stand down and all this stuff. By the way, again, what does this show you on top of everything I already described? These guys cannot stop with the culture war. They are so they're so caught up in the culture war that the whole pandemic thing, 120,000 dead Americans, not even a blip on the radar, not thinking about it, not talking about it. The 20% unemployment thing, the real unemployment rate being 20%, he's like, well, so in other words, we have a Great Depression and a deadly pandemic. And he's not talking about that. He's making up that Biden and Democrats and robing gangs of Antifa are going to kill conservatives. Think if it was a Democratic president right now, and we had 120,000 dead from COVID, and we had 20% unemployment. I think he'd be talking about that nonstop and saying, worst president ever, oh my God, the death toll is like two Vietnams to us. This is what he'd be saying. The unemployment is like the Great Depression, oh my God. But when does Trump, ignore all that and make up that Biden, a moderate Republican, is going to kill Republicans or be okay with Antifa killing Republicans. These guys also can't make up their minds, just so everybody knows. They're not sure if Antifa is a bunch of soy boy weakling losers in their mom's basement who can't get a date or they're scary terrorists who are going to take over the entire country. Depending on the day, they'll flip that talking point back and forth. They don't realize it's a contradiction. One day, they're weak soy boys. The next day, they're scary terrorists. Obviously, to him this day, oh, scary terrorists. Oh, scary terrorists. I don't know how somebody ends up going this far down the wrong path, but imagine being this brainwashed and this drunk on Fox News and this silly. It's honestly embarrassing. It's it's super embarrassing. Unless he's kidding. Is he kidding? I honestly think there's a small chance he's kidding because this is just the dumbest thing I've ever read in my life. So, maybe he's kidding. If he's not kidding, then Jesus Christ, he's so delusional and so far gone. All right, next. MSNBC contributed to the Biden discourse as only MSNBC 10. So here's an Obama administration insider, Cornell Belcher. He's asked the question about the left and how do you get him on board and how do you win elections and how do you persuade and all this. Look at his reaction. This is, this is beyond parody.
0: What do you say to critics of Joe Biden,
1: including potential Obama coalition Democratic voters?
0: who have said, you know what? It's much harder to put together a reel like that for Joe
1: Biden, who's actually had a longer career in politics. That there isn't the same enthusiasm, some say. Uh, that when you look at other measures like online searches, people aren't searching to hear what Joe Biden's saying right now. There um, or not, what do you say to that? Shut the hell up and grow up, right? We have to die with an exponential threat to everything you believe in, right? Shut up get in line, let's get rid of this guy, and then we can argue on the, on the, on the other side of this. They're never going to learn. The so-called centrist Democrats are never going to learn. They're never going to learn. You know, it's amazing. Everybody kind of understands and accepts and gets it that, oh, the center, the independents, they're to be wooed. You woo them. You treat them with nothing but kindness and respect. And you try to earn their vote. So precious, yes. When it's the left, it's that. Shut up and get in line. People create more third-party voters and non-voters than Democratic voters. Absolutely. This approach will only turn more people off. The endless, non-stop browbeating, spitting in the eye, making fun of shaming wagging your finger obviously that's only going to turn people off obviously like you want to know how you woo the left you woo the left with policy the left are the most policy focused in the country i mean this is why bernie sanders was their guy was it bernie's charisma that brought people in was it his good looks that brought people in no it was the fact he was always talking about policy so how do you bring the left in medicare for all free college, living wage, ending the wars, green new deal. For example, now you could say, well hold on now, those Biden's just not going to do those. So, and he's already on the record as not doing saying I'm not going to do most of those. So, like you got to be more reasonable here. You got to give a little bit. I told you guys I've given plenty. Like if Biden promised to legalize marijuana, I think I think the overwhelming majority of people who are holding out would say, "Okay, I'll vote for him." I really do believe that. If if all he had to do was say, I'm going to legalize marijuana, I'm going to free the nonviolent drug offenders. And I do think that most of the holdouts would say, "Eh, I'll sign on to that one. But like, that's the thing is that you don't get any real, any real solid policy-based guarantees from Biden. You get a promise of the status quo, a promise of business as usual. And since that is totally unappealing to people, this is how they try to force you to get in line, literally saying, shut up and get in line. You would think that with an election like this, if it's so important, if it's so existential, that they should step their game up and really try overtime to reach out. Instead, it's all window dressing and silliness, like the frickin' task forces, which is spitting in our eyes. And listen, at the moment... It looks like Biden will probably luck out. Now, it's subject to change, so we can't – I don't have a crystal ball. I can't see the future. But at the moment, he's a giant favorite, so he kind of lucked out that Trump is so unappealing and you have a perfect storm of terrible things happening that works for Biden. But um, people might take away the wrong conclusion from this election, the wrong conclusion being, oh, centrism is obviously how you win, and Democrats always need to run as centrists. But if the real reason Biden ends up winning is that it's just simply an anti-Trump election and a ham sandwich could have beaten Trump, then that's not the lesson. But unfortunately, people will learn the wrong lesson, and they'll continue to browbeat the left. And this will be a common occurrence, because it's always been a common occurrence for the left. This is how the left gets treated. And you wonder why they're disillusioned, and you wonder why oftentimes they stay home, and you wonder why they hate standard politics, because this is standard politics to them. They've been disrespected and snubbed for so long. And I think it's time for us to stand up and assert ourselves and um, to really let everybody know actually we're in charge because we have the ideas that are most popular. All right, final story of the day. I'm going to do Fox News going after Joe and making stupid points because they're Fox News. All right. Here we go. Only Fox News and Fox Business could get me to defend Joe Biden because they just use the dumbest argument you've ever heard against him. So here they are attacking him for saying that he'd raise corporate taxes.
0: CalBomb, president of CalBomb Capital Management, and Liz, Fox News.com columnists. They are both contributors. Um, Gary, I'll start with you. What a great idea. If the economy's in a slump, what you really want to do is raise taxes because that is just the smartest thing you can do. Do you agree? Uh, Oh, yes, sure. Uh, If I was uh, Joe Biden's advisor and I had his ear, uh, I would just simply say, no, Joe, Uh, We are in the most uncertain time for businesses, small, medium, large, that I've seen in decades, and to now put this on them, I can promise you already businesses are talking,
1: okay, what would we have to do, how many people would we have to get rid of, how much investing less will we be doing, if this occurs, and by the way, it's not just the talk of corporate, but it's all taxes, and it's the worst possible scenario in an uncertain times like this. I wish you would just take a step back and just wait, uh, at least till the yeah. pandemic
0: passes. Liz, true or false, um, corporations are inanimate objects. They are not people, they are not made of people, and when you tax them, it hurts no one. <laughs> false, false, I got that one, uh, Melissa. Uh, look. Joe Biden is going back to the Obama White House playbook. It didn't work. We had the slowest recovery since World War II. But more than that, I mean, Joe Biden apparently is a pretty slow learner. It seems to me he should take note of the fact that we're actually getting corporations to bring back manufacturing right now at a rate that we have not seen in decades. That is really important to those middle-class workers. He wants to vote for him. So why in the world would you start pulling the rug out from the tax that, that corporations are using to do that and make them less competitive. It is really bad Miller Melissa. Uh, I just hope that he mends his veins in case, heaven forbid, he wins. So I just said raising dairy, it yeah, seems we'll, like it will we'll slow the economy, which means less revenues will come into the Treasury. Anyhow, so it just does not work either way.
1: I don't know how to say this nicely, but literally every single thing they said is not true. (laughs) Every single thing. So that last point that the guy makes, oh, you know, if you raise taxes, it'll slow the economy, so you'll get less revenue to the government anyway. That has been proven false a thousand times over. This is Art Laffer's idea, the Laffer curve. This is Reaganomics, or trickle-down economics, or as George H.W. Bush used to call it, voodoo economics, and he called it voodoo economics because it didn't, It's not true it doesn't come to fruition it's bogus it's nonsense they say oh my god if you raise taxes the economy will slow down so much that even though you have a higher tax rate the government gets less revenue but that's not true when you raise the tax rate you almost by definition raise the amount of revenue coming into the government they just make up that oh my god everything will slow the growth will slow down so much that you actually get less money even though you have a higher tax rate that's not true look at the clinton years for example the revenue went up and the tax rates were up the, ta- the and this is to be fair this is t- not talking about the corporate tax rate this is talking about the uh the income tax rate it went up for the highest earners and revenue went up but anyway it still proves the theory wrong the idea that oh you raise taxes Guaranteed that the economy slows down, and even though you have a higher tax rate, you get less, get less revenue. That's not true. Okay, but beyond that, so Biden called for raising the corporate tax rate from 21% to 28%. By the way, this is a typical Biden move, because the, uh, the corporate tax rate, the nominal corporate tax rate used to be like 35%. So Trump took it from 35% to 21%, and then in comes neoliberal Joe Biden. He goes, 21 is too low, but I'll make it 28 which is still lower than the 35 that it was. Now, overall, to be fair, that rate is never paid by anybody. That's just the nominal rate, which is the rate on paper. After you get the loopholes and the deductions, the effective rate is much lower than all of that. Um, But when you look at our effective corporate tax rate, it's one of the lowest in the world. The amount that the corporations actually pay is one of the lowest in the world. So, which get back to the talking points that they were using, they said, well, Corporations are bringing back manufacturing now. So if you raise their taxes, they're not going to do that. First of all, corporations are not bringing back manufacturing. There's been outsourcing happening under the Trump administration. But beyond that, if you wanted to stop outsourcing, you know how you do that? You penalize outsourcing. That's how you do it. You don't give the corporations anything they want and eliminate their taxes or reduce their taxes to try to get them to come over here by, you know, promising, like, net subsidies to them. No, that's that would be them shaking down the taxpayers. Like, you're at their whim. No, that's not the way it's supposed to work. They're corporations. We are the government. We are the government. We are their boss. The people are their boss. So when we come up with rules and regulations and tax rates, they have to pay it like every individual would have to pay it. So corporations are not bringing back manufacturing but if you wanted to bring back manufacturing you penalize outsourcing you pass a buy america law or sign a a buy america executive order that's how you do it you can punish the actions that you don't want them to do you don't like just give them whatever the hell they want in order to hope that they'll do the right thing because usually when you give corporations whatever they want they still don't even do the right thing you have to force them to do it so biden's Call to raise the corporate tax rate. Of course that makes sense. It should be more. You should want to raise it more. But definitely at least raising it to 28% makes perfect sense. And see, this is the thing that's so crazy about the true ideological right-wingers, the, the Republicans who are on Fox Business, who are on Fox News. They're the worst. They're the worst. Because they, like, they really never stop drinking the trickle-down economics Kool-Aid. They never stop drinking Uh, the neocon foreign policy Kool-Aid, they're effectively wrong about everything. And so when they attack Biden over the things that they care about, they actually make Biden look better. Because at least with Biden, you go, okay, at least he wants to raise the corporate tax rate a little bit. Whereas these guys are, like, they're acting like the idea of wanting to raise corporate taxes is absurd. How can you possibly think that's absurd? Look at the CARES Act. Look at... What happened with the Federal Reserve and the quantitative easing to prop up the marketplace? The corporations are the only things that got out of this unscathed. The corporations got everything they wanted. We have full corporate socialism now, and the people are getting screwed. You have over 20% unemployment. You have people who have jobs who are taking giant pay cuts. Average people are getting decimated. And Fox News goes out there and defends the corporations? who are robbing everybody blind, who are outsourcing jobs, and they're defending them and acting like it's a crazy idea to slightly raise their tax rate? Are you kidding me? Think about what could be funded with the revenue that we get from raising the corporate taxes. Think about what we could fund with that. They don't don't care because they don't want an infrastructure deal. They don't want a better education system. They don't want free college. They want to protect the corporations. That's their whole point. That's the whole reason why Fox News and Fox Business exists. So they're trying to mock Biden and act like it's crazy to want to raise taxes on corporations. That's the most reasonable thing I've ever heard Biden ever advocate for, ever. And by the way, he should get rid of all of Trump's tax bill, because 83% of the benefits go to the top 1%. In the long run, it raises taxes on everybody making $75,000 a year or less. So, yeah, on Biden, I'm going after that. So go ahead. See, this, this is... This is good because now they're using all the shitty arguments against Biden. Trump's going all in on stupid statue stuff and the culture war. And Fox News is going in on the few areas where Biden is advocating something reasonable like raising corporate taxes. That's how Fox News is attacking him. It's almost like they're all trying to throw the election because this is the dumbest line of argument I've ever heard and it will not land. All right. And on that note, we are done, baby. All right, guys, I love you. Hope you're staying safe out there. Um, Keep social distancing if you're protesting. And uh, I will talk to you guys soon. Enjoy your weekend. I'm out. Peace.